This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the 343 Podcast. On this episode, my good friend Joey Cassio joins me again, and we discuss the latest roster announcement for the upcoming U.S. men's national team games. Those games are going to be against Canada and against Cuba. We also discuss our thoughts on the U23 roster that was dropped on the same day, which I felt was kind of weird. Tell you why in this episode in just a few minutes, but we go over our thoughts about the U23s and what we expect for certain players that are involved in the camp. And towards the very end, we also give you an update on the U17 World Cup, which is ongoing. Even though the United States was bounced in the group stage, there are still data points that are important for learning and development. So we go over those towards the very end because learning and development is what 343 is all about. And if you are unfamiliar with us at this point, it's very easy to get to know us. We have over 200 written articles. We have over 200 podcasts, and we also offer a free seven-week coaching course. So those are three free ways that you can really get to know who we are, what we do, what we stand for, and why we do things the way that we do them. And if you are an ambitious soccer coach and you're looking for ways to learn and develop your teams and develop your players to their full potential, we also offer our premium coaching membership program. And that is the program that uses the proven 343 methodology to accelerate your development and teaches you how to start coaching possession-based soccer. The 343 methodology is the culmination of decades of study and practice domestically and overseas. And of note are Brian Kleiman's five internships at FC Barcelona. And that methodology is conveniently delivered to you in an easy to use online course for a fraction of the price of other licenses and courses that are out there. That means that there's no time off work, no out-of-state trips, no waiting and wondering if you're going to get accepted in the course. You're just able to start learning immediately when you first sign up, and you can continue learning whenever you want from wherever you're at. But the best part about it is that you are able to learn from a coach that is responsible for developing the players that we talk about all the time on this podcast. Players like Efra Alvarez, Alex Mendez, Uli Yanez, Kobe Hernandez, Johnny Perez. All those players came from the 343 system. So who better to learn from than the coach that is developing the best national team prospects that we talk about here on this podcast. If you want to start developing players and teams to their full potential using these gold standard methods, it makes sense for you to get access to the 343 Premium Membership Program. You can sign up and start learning today by visiting 343coaching.com. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right. Hope you're ready for it. Here it comes, me and Joey. We are giving you all of our thoughts about the U.S. Men's National Team roster, the U23 roster, and the ongoing U17 World Cup. Enjoy.
we're back with another episode about the U.S. Men's National Team program. This is going to be a big episode because we're going to talk about um, multiple levels of the U.S. Men's National Team program. We are going to provide our reactions to the U.S. Men's National Team's roster announcement for the November 15th and November 19th games against Canada and against Cuba. We are also going to talk about the U23's roster announcements for their games that are going to be played in Las Palmas uh, against some South American teams. So we'll give you our, uh, our reactions to that. And the U17 World Cup is still ongoing, even though USA is not there. I'm going to go out on a limb and say USA's best player is still there after Alvarez. Um American eligible. He's still down there. He's playing Mexico advanced to the quarterfinals. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that and more. We got tons of stuff to talk about. Uh, Joey, welcome. What's up, dude? Not much, man. What's going on? Oh, you know, just another day in U.S. soccer. All kinds of crazy news dropped today. It's, it's actually kind of crazy they dropped uh, the U.S. men's national team roster and the U23 roster on the same day. I feel like that's kind of strange. It gives us lots to talk about. It does, and I wonder if it's almost like a like a um, like a bait and switch tactic. Like they drop the U.S. men's national team roster, knowing that people are going to react poorly to that, and then they're like, "Oh, but hey, here's this other one. Go 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 look at this one." <laughs> I don't know, maybe, but uh, yeah. So two rosters dropped today. I guess not complete rosters. Um, they they added nine European based players to their already existing twenty or so uh, American based players, and it sounds like they're going to add a few more after MLS Cup this weekend. So uh, we don't know the final roster for next week's games against Canada and Cuba yet, but we will be back with another episode next week to talk about that. Uh, today we yeah like we kind of hinted at we have a lot of stuff to already talk about one of the things i I know that you really want to discuss and i really want to start with is this letter that coach greg berhalter wrote to the american outlaws um if you can if you you can start by just kind of like describing the letter itself and, and the contents in the letter do that and then tell me tell me your thoughts about about the letter yeah, so it was interesting that, uh, you know, Burhalter felt it necessary to write a letter to the American Outlaws after uh, the game against Canada. Um, you know, he he comes out and apologizes for not addressing them after the game, saying that it was down to some frustration. Uh, and then... One of the things that stood out to me uh, was this quote pulled from the letter. He says, one thing we will not accept from our team is anything but the determination, effort, and absolute will to win. That is the essence of our country and our team. And I think that that, yeah, that's a given, and going into the the next two games against Canada and Cuba, uh, that that should be non-negotiable. That should be there every single game, no matter what. But um, we should be seeing 
some sort of identity that that represents uh, the American soccer public. And I believe, my opinion is that the identity, of course, determination, effort, the absolute will to win, along with uh, a product of, like we've talked about with the U-17s, possession with with a clear strategy of how to use that possession to hurt the opponent um and then results you know as as the american soccer public i think that we demand that that we win that is the that's the ultimate uh goal of course with the national team so yeah it was it was interesting that he felt it necessary to address the american outlaws um and and i think he he doesn't really you know go any further than the determination effort will to win part he doesn't really address um the identity or anything like that uh i think that there was something in there along the lines of you know the only thing that'll suffer is, is a win and i think that uh yeah he there should be accountability for that yeah that's i uh- I think that's the most important part is that you can't skate around the fact that a win, two wins are absolutely necessary. You know, that nothing else will suffice other than two wins, not the determination to win, not the will to win, not the uh, effort to win. No, you have to win like that. That, that is the, the objective. No more, no more pussyfooting around, you know, this other, you know, all these other things that he's been saying for almost a year now. It's like, you need to start winning consistently against these little minnow nations that are in CONCACAF. Yeah. Even beyond these two games, we play in the softest region in the world. We should be winning, you know, almost all of the time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, I I I have uh, I always tell people I have, we have a spreadsheet open right now and we're sharing we're sharing notes with each other and in the notes um, I have just the stats for the U.S. men's national team for 2019 and they have nine wins five losses two draws so of their five losses four of them are in the United States and the other one is in Canada and they've scored 30 goals this year and they've allowed 13 but of the 30 goals that they've scored 20 of those are against some of the weakest teams in the entire world. I don't even know if they're ranked on FIFA's rankings. Um, They scored four goals against Guyana. They scored seven goals against Cuba. They scored six against Trinidad. They scored three against Panama. It's like, okay, cool. You know, there's, there's 20 of your, 20 of your goals. So you scored 10, 10 other goals. Like, uh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, good. I, I went back today, John, and I actually rewatched his initial press conference that that he gave Berhalter uh, when he first got hired. And I, I wrote down a couple like things that stood out. Uh, he he shared that it should be easy for the players to pick up the principles of play. Uh, and, and he used some key words in terms of what the identity would be and those those three the three points he shared was ball circulation breaking lines and goal scoring opportunities and you know the Berhalter's had a year right he's, he's pretty much been 
in charge of the national team for a year. At this point, we should be able to see signs of those three things happening on a consistent basis. And I don't know, man, I, I, I don't see it. I don't know if you see it the same way, but I, I don't see that stuff consistently happening. And again, in context, in the softest region in the world. Yeah, and I think it's a symptom that we saw also with the U seventeen recently is that Wiki came out and said much of those many many of those same things, um, you know, talk 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 leading up to the tournament, uh, walks through Concacaf qualifying, which is expected, um, and then you know gets played off the field at, at the World Cup and out and out in the group stages, but you know much of those same things were said. And what ultimately happened on the field didn't match what was being said. And so, yeah, it's, it, I, I don't see it happening. I didn't see it happening at the U 17 level. I don't really see it happening at the senior team uh, level. And it's very concerning. It's very uh, disappointing. It's very frustrating uh, I'm trying to think of how many different words I can use to to say p- pretty much the same thing. Is that it's it's just shit. It's it's not a it, it's it's not good soccer. So um, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about that. We're we're at a point where we're far past words, and you know it, it's a nice gesture that that Berhalter wanted to address the American outlaws. And, you know, what he said in, in interviews and press conferences and whatnot, we're way past the words. We want to see the proof on the field. You know, we're, we're a year into his, um, his time as the national team head coach. His project. Uh, yeah, we're going, we're going into 2020. Yeah, that's a word that they like to use. Yeah, project. <laughs> uh, we're going into 2020 now, uh, you know we're getting closer and closer to world cup qualifying. And if we don't start to see some sort of uh, progress on, you know, the, the three points that I shared that he shared in his first press conference, then we have to be massively concerned with that. You know, the, the ball circulation, breaking lines, goal scoring opportunities. That's, that's just with the ball. Um, the one side of it and yeah we we haven't really seen much of that consistently so there has to be there has to be huge concern i think from from us as supporters um and yeah you i don't know i I don't think that i have my doubts that we'll see any sort of progress in these areas in the next couple games or even past that but uh yeah it's it's not enough anymore that you know, we talk about it, it's time to prove it. Yeah. And talking about goal scoring opportunities, it's very difficult to measure that, you know, in our CONCACAF region, right? When we're playing against teams like Cuba uh, or Guyana and you create a, a bunch of goal scoring opportunities. Who got, who got a hat trick in like five minutes last game? Was it Weston McKinney? Yeah. Um, it's like, yeah, cool. Like the tons of goal scoring opportunities. Right. But when it comes to playing against Mexico, how many goals have we scored against Mexico in the two games this year? Um, when it came, when it, when it came to 
playing against Canada, how many goal scoring opportunities did we create against Canada? Um, you know, how many, how many goal scoring opportunities are we, are, are we creating against the teams that are, are, you know, the best in CONCACAF and also, you know, outside of CONCACAF, which are, you know, those are the teams that we should really be measuring ourselves against. You know, how many goals are we scoring or how many opportunities are we creating against those teams? We can't measure it against, you know, Cuba. We shouldn't even be measuring it against Canada, to be honest. It's fucking Canada. Yeah, the, the next two games, the expectation should be absolute dominance. 20-0. Should be, that, that's what we should come away with, 20-0 to after these two games. I, I'm not, and I'm not even exaggerating. Like that's that's what the expectation would have been for Greg Berhalter's team in the '90s when he was on the team. You know those those guys they wouldn't you know if they would have lost to Canada back then. Oh my God, those guys would have been so embarrassed. I can't even believe it. When I remember watching Canada when I was a kid, Canada pl- came to play at a high school in Santa Maria. Like that's how bad Canada's national team was in the nineties. Like that's that's how irrelevant they were in the nineties. And somehow they've caught up to us and now they beat us in a meaningful game. I'm throwing air quotes right now. Um, you know, that's the, that's the progress that Canada's made in in, in 20 years or so. So maybe good for them. I don't know where I was going with that. (laughs) I'm just so frustrated. It's crazy to think where, where we're at. then. Yeah. Um, your, I don't know, general reaction to the to the national team roster. Any any anything that jumped out at you? I'm I'm not excited. I'm not excited by uh, the roster at all. I mean, you know, Pulisic, of course, is is Pulisic. He he's the one player that uh, in a global context, you know plays at a high level um but the other players yeah there's nothing exciting there it's just kind of whatever uh for me i'm not i'm not really thinking too much about you know what players are there it's more of seeing if the team as a group shows progress in in uh executing their identity that's basically what I'm I'm going to be looking at and seeing if there's any progress there. The the players, I mean it, it it's boring. <laughs> if I'm yeah. being honest. Yeah. And at, and at a certain point too now that Berhalter's had almost a almost a year with his uh project or with his process or whatever those idiots call it. Um you know, at what point do you stop even you know, judging the players that he, that he brings in and you start, well, you can, you, you can never stop judging the players that he brings in. Cause that says a lot about him and his staff and the people uh, behind the scenes. Right. But yeah. At, at what point do you stop, you know, attributing what happens on the field to the players and you really just start to attribute it to this guy doesn't know what he is doing. He doesn't know how to choose the right players to play whatever style he's trying to trying to bring out of them uh he doesn't know how to design the style that that he wants to play to begin with uh he you know maybe he's just not cut out to be the u.s men's national team so what point do you stop you know blaming the players and you really just start start to zero in on you know this guy is not doing the job correctly yeah it's interesting to look at his player selection uh, and how it relates to 
what I was talking about earlier with with those three points that he shared in his initial press conference about his identity, ball circulation, breaking lines, and goal scoring opportunities. Do the players that he calls into the national team, are they able to do that at a national team level? And and if they can't even do it in CONCACAF, I mean, think about what, what that says. I mean, looking at global context, we're competing against the rest of the world, not just CONCACAF. So if we're struggling against Canada, you know, these players are having a hard time executing what he wants as his identity. I mean, that's a huge issue. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at the roster right now, and I'm trying to think like, what? Which one of the center backs are going to be the ones that you know hits like a breaking line pass to one of our midfielders, or which one of our midfielders is going to be the midfielder that that filters a ball through the other the uh, the other team's back line to uh, to one of our one of our wingers or to our center forward? You know, what, like who who are those players? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, like, Weston McKinney's not the not the type of player that plays those filtered balls, you know, through to the wingers. He's not he he he's not that type of player. We don't have a center back or even you know outside backs really. Maybe Serginho, but he's not he's not really known for like playing breaking line passes. He's known for more for his like you know his ability to to overlap and and take players on one v one and that type of stuff on the wing. He's not he's not the breaking line type player. And, and is Aaron Long that? Um, I don't even think John Brooks is, you know, these players, they're not the type of players. Yeah. Another thing that I think is important to, to point out is we, we've seen a contrast in how some of these players perform with the national team, uh, as opposed to how they perform with their club teams, um, which is an example of, you know, the coach and their and their identity that they set the team up in has to bring out the best in the individual players. So yeah, I mean, do we have a do we have a number ten first of all who has the quality to play make and create chances? I don't see it. Mm-hmm. You know, yet you have Pulisic who is you know he's a traditional winger. He's he has a little bit of playmaking quality, but he's more of a a one v one guy, take players on. Um, yeah, Serginho Dest, he, he has a lot of potential, but the last time he played with the national team, uh, it, it wasn't good. And he, he came off the field in a lot of frustration and Pulisic did the same the last time he played for the national team. So we can't just look at the individual qualities. It, it, it's up to to Greg to bring out the best in these players. But if we're looking at the individual quality, you look at Pulisic, you look at Dest. Beyond that, you know, Josh Josh Sargent, yeah, he plays he plays in Germany. He's he's an average player. That's that's the reality. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's nothing, you know, McKenney, he's not a playmaker. Yeah. He's He's more of what uh, we as Americans like to see or we like to see like an enforcer in midfield. But uh, that's that's not going to help us be able to break lines and, and create more chances on goal. So, yeah, that's just a kind of a brief look at the at the roster. But 
you know, it'll be interesting to see how Greg sets the players up and what he can get out of them. Yeah, it's you. You brought up Josh Sargent being, you know, me uh, uh, playing in playing in Germany, and I think uh, I think it's important for people to to kind of understand that just because you play in Europe doesn't necessarily mean that you are a na- national team caliber player. That doesn't necessarily mean that. Like, how many other German forwards are there playing in the Bundesliga, and how many of them are on Germany's national team? It just just because you're playing playing for uh, you know a Bundesliga team doesn't automatically mean that you are an international caliber player, and that's a that's a reality. And I I, I know that Gary had mentioned a, a while back that a lot of people rely on other other sources to tell them that, you know, a player is good. I think specifically he was talking about Dest in, in that example. He's like, Hey, like, you know, Dest had these qualities in him. Um, when, when he was with the U twenties before summer started and then, and then all of a sudden Ajax promoted him to the first team. And then, then the U S men's national team came knocking that, that only then though, they didn't have the ability to pick that out beforehand. So it's like they're relying on on these other people to to pick out um, or, or to to you know promote these players to the first team before they give them any any um, opportunities with the U.S. men's national team. But in the in the same kind of realm, though, just because a player gets promoted to the first team somewhere doesn't necessarily mean that they are good enough or the right fit for the men's national team. So, but being able to determine that is is very very difficult. Um, for some people apparently. And, and that's why you get guys like forced into, I, I feel like forced into rosters a lot of times with the, with maybe with a lot of national teams, but especially with the U S men's national team. I don't know. Yeah, no, that, that does seem to be uh, the case more often than not. Sorry, the, the dog's barking, <laughs> but yeah, you see that a lot. You see once a player is called into the, first team then it's like oh okay well they must be good enough now we'll we'll bring them into the the senior national team and then even even you see a lot in the media um once a player is validated by being being called into the first team or if if they move to a european club a lot of the time then the the media sees that player as oh they're 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 big time. Yeah. Context, man. Yeah. And, and on, on that note too, um, maybe we can just even just transition away from the, the senior team and into the U 23s. But, um, I heard my boy, Adam bells talking about his boy, Richie Ledesma the other day, um, which Richie's a fantastic player. I, I, I really enjoy watching him play. I think he's, you know, one of the top, top, top prospects in, in the U S in the U S pipeline right now, but even, even Adam to, to a degree, I, I think got it, got it wrong on his podcast the other day when he was talking about how Richie is, you know, breaking through to the PSV, you know, first team, he made the bench a couple times or maybe once. Um, and, and he saw that as like an almost qualifier to, to bring Richie into the senior men's national team. And, he kind of, I, I got the feeling was comparing that, uh, or was comparing Alex Mendez's situation at Ajax to what Rich, what was happening with Richie at PSV. 
and kind of comparing some other guys to maybe Uli being another one or uh, some guys that are still playing, you know, with their, you know, with the second team or with their youth teams in, in Europe or wherever. Um, and, and it got me thinking like, you know, the difference between breaking into PSV's first team versus breaking into Ajax first, uh, Ajax's first team is so, so, so different. It's so different. So, yeah. you know, there, there, there's a lot of context, you know, there's a lot of layers to that as well that you can't just base it off of a player, you know, making the roster, the first team roster or not, or, or getting second team minutes or not, or just being, uh, uh, you know, with the U19s or not. You, can, you cannot judge those on those like artificial things. You have to be able to see the talent that a player has, or the or, or what they can eventually offer to the, the the senior team. You know what what is this player going to offer to the senior team? How can we properly groom this player so that when he is ready for the senior team, that he is actually ready? You can't wait for these stupid little qualifiers of you know making the bench or getting first team minutes or. Uh, whatever other benchmarks that you need to throw out there, like that, it's it's different. And then specifically going back to the PSV IX uh, example, you know, it, it might take Alex much, much, much longer to break into IX's first team roster because breaking into IX's first team roster is breaking into a a literal top ten team in the world. It's breaking into a top ten roster, and breaking into PSV's first team roster is it breaking into a top 50, a top 100 team. I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, throw shade on, on, on that situation, but it's just, it's so much different. There's so much context there. There's so many layers there that you can't just, you can't boil it down to, you know, just, you know, just cracking the, cracking the lineup. Like, and, and another thing too, I'm soapboxing. I'm sorry, Joey. Um, yeah. Another, another thing too, is that, you know, the amount of time that Richie's been at PSV, granted, you know, he, he was injured for, for quite a bit of it. Um, you know, the amount of time that he, that he was there compared to how much time Alex has been at, at Ajax, I think is very, very important too. You know, when players move to Europe, they don't, you don't just get thrown in, especially at, at, at these guys' ages when they moved. You don't just get thrown in there and, and then, you know, propelled to the first team. Like when you look at Sargent, for example, right? Like Sargent, you know, how, how long was he with uh, with Bremen 2 or Soto or uh, any of the guys that, that, that moved over? Very, very, very rare that any player of any nationality just, you know, transfers at, at, a, at a youth uh, youth level, you know, 16, 17, 18, and just gets propelled to the first team. Right. So, and even 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 Pulisic, I think, spent a significant amount of time with uh, Borussia Dortmund's second team. And he, but he he was also young when he debuted, so I think he was like seventeen and a half or something like that, which is uh, you know still early. But yeah, he, I mean he he didn't he didn't start with the first team for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah, man. There's there's so there's so much that for first of all we don't see what's going on behind the scenes 100%. and yeah there, there is so much context to uh, properly evaluating uh, a player's level and if if we're if we're judging based on oh he's in the first team oh he's not you know oh how many minutes is he getting in the the, fir- the second team as opposed to this player in his second team like that that's no way of evaluating a player it goes much deeper yeah. 
Yeah. And again, it's not to take anything away from Richie because like I told you before we started recording, I'm, I'm super excited at the potential of, of having Richie and Alex play in the field together, which, you know, we didn't, we didn't get a chance to see at the U 20 world cup and we didn't really get a chance to see throughout qualifying either. But, you know, this is another opportunity for, you know, two of the absolute best top, top, top prospects to start sharing the field together, which they will hopefully someday do at the senior national team level as well. Yeah. I, I think I've tweeted that out. I am hoping at some point we get to see Richie and Alex playing alongside each other in midfield. I think for U.S. soccer, that would be uh, that that would that would be so enjoyable for us as as fans. And I think in terms of the product on the field and making progress as a soccer nation, those two can play a huge part in that. Yeah. And and so when you start looking at uh Berhalter's ideas of, you know, retaining possession, creating goal scoring opportunities, breaking lines, like Alex and Richie, those two guys are two players that legit can do that. Like th- like those are the guys that can do that. When you, when you look at the roster of uh the US men's national team roster and you look at the midfielders there, it's like Nah, I don't like none of those guys are, are, are those types of players. But when you look at Richie and you look at Alex and specifically where those guys are being groomed, which, you know, in, in Holland, which is, you know, that's the, that's the style of play that Berhalter really, I think really wants to play. You know, those two guys are, are, are the guys that you want doing that. And how awesome would it be if they shared the field together at the same time? Yeah, that, they should. <laughs> yeah which is crazy i don't know how much people know about you know the 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 cycle that that jason christ has had or the five games that jason uh oh, what is it five camps i guess not five games um that christ has had with this group of players but you know he's played i believe he played richie a little bit out of position uh he he, he played alex out of position they haven't really got a chance to be on the field together. I don't even think Richie was called into the last camp. Um, actually, yeah. So I don't know. Is this this might even be Richie's first camp with U twenty threes? I think it no. Might I be. think I think I think they're in the. They were both in the last camp. Were they the camp before that? Yeah. Yeah. They. they yeah. That's they, right. That's right. They were both in the last camp. Yeah. Richie. Richie. They're a little bit different. You know, Alex and Richie. Alex. His passing range, we've seen it on display. It's unbelievable. His left foot is unbelievable. His deception is unbelievable. Uh, he he creates goal-scoring chances multiple times a game. Uh, and Richie, his passing range is good, and he offers a little bit more on the dribble, I think. You know, his playmaking qualities can come from um, taking players on a little bit more, but his, his passing range is good, too. I mean, the amount of chances that those two guys can create it it's huge i mean you're talking multiple chances a game from both players they they can they both have the ability to do that and yeah going back to greg's points you know ball circulation breaking lines goal scoring opportunities those two players provide all three of those things at a high level Yep. 
more more than some of their counterparts that have that have been called in to the same camp and more than some of their you know their peers that are already making already getting call-ups to the senior men's national team which i think is important to point out but i think uh the most the most important thing in my mind right now is that these players at the u23 level and i'll say specifically richie and alex start getting groomed properly for their transition to the senior men's national team. And so no more of this playing them at winger, no more of, of playing them separately. Um, no, no more of, uh, you know, other players getting, getting minutes over them because they are, uh, you know, for whatever, whatever league they play for, they're getting senior minutes. You know, there, there's no reason in my mind that the, uh, an MLS midfielder, somebody that's getting, I don't know, 500 to a thousand minutes in MLS should be playing over Richie or Alex in this camp. No, yeah. n- no, no, no reason in my mind in this universe. Should that be happening? Yeah. In my opinion, they, they provide solutions to some of the issues that the senior national team have been having uh, and so, yeah, they should be identified as such. And like you said, they should be groomed to enter the senior team as soon as possible because they can give you those three things that Greg has said that he wanted from his national team. Yeah. Yeah. And and even if it's, you know, we, we kind of talked about this too, that even if it's, you know, Alex playing the 10 or and Richie playing the eight or vice versa, or them kind of just sharing, sharing the attacking roles, you know, that's awesome. That's ideal. Um, but it was, it was actually pointed out to me that when Richie was first discovered and, and brought into the national team um, fold, he, he was tearing it up as a, as a holding mid. And that's what, you know, ultimately got him discovered by PSV, I, I believe, when he was playing in um, uh, in Europe with, I think, a youth national team. The PSV noticed, you know, this guy's, a, this guy's a baller. And at that time, Richie was being played as a six. So, you know, even finding a way to just get these guys, um, you know, in the midfield together, I think is very, very important. But absolutely not playing them completely out of position as like wingers or God forbid, you know, something else, you know, if, if one of these coaches wants to try a stupid project, like, like wiki's project playing Kobe at, at center back. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you said, Richie has experienced playing the six. Alex has experienced playing the six. I think that's a testament to their, their tactical intelligence you know their their understanding of the game to be able to play different positions in midfield. Uh, that that's that in itself is a quality uh, that top international players have. I don't know, John. What I look forward to in the senior team is a front five of Pulisic, Sargent, Uli, Richie, and Alex. Yep, yep. And and I, I and that is a real a real, real, real possibility. And so in, in my opinion, that's what we should be grooming these players for. Like that, that's, that, that should be what everything is moving towards the fans for the most part, want to see that from everything that I, I, I see on Twitter. Um, the media seems to be leaning that way. Um, 
and, and yeah, it's, it's just, you know, I, I want to see these guys start getting groomed. And, and at, on that note, yeah, Uli should be there with these guys as well. You know, he, he should be being groomed over, uh, let's see, I'll pick out a name, Brooks Lennon. You know, Brooks, what, what is the point of having Brooks Lennon still with the national team? No offense to this kid. I'm sure he's a nice guy, probably comes from a nice family, but uh, zero goals, zero assists in 2019 in Major League Soccer. And you miss an opportunity to bring in, you know, a, a, a really, really, really talented prospect so you can bring in Brooks Lennon. To me, that's it's it's another crime committed by U.S. Soccer. Yeah, every every step that Uli's taken uh, over the last few years, you know, it, it hasn't taken him long to adapt, and then he dominates. Yep. You know, so yeah, I, I despite his age, he should be trusted um, to play at this level with the U 23s, no problem. And yeah, like you said, him as well, he should be being groomed uh, for the national team. I mean, if you have him and Pulisic on the wings, I mean, you've got so much one V one quality, goal scoring ability, playmaking ability. That'd be unbelievable and deadly. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be insane. Yeah. Imagine if Pulisic didn't have to carry like carry all the the load. Imagine if if he had guys like you know Richie and guys like Alex able to take on the distribution role. So Pulisic doesn't have to also be the distributor of the ball because a lot of times he's been played as a ten um, in in midfield. So he's he's had to share that role you know, a number of times. So imagine if he was just free to play on on, on one side, right? And then you know imagine he doesn't even have to carry the entire attacking load either. For, for the national team, like he did against, uh, you know, or, or those last few games in 2018 qualifying, which ultimately, you know, led to nowhere. Um, yeah, but adding adding in Uli to, to that as well. And then that frees up a guy like, you know, plug in Josh Sargent to, to center forward or, or Sebastian Soto to center forward, right? All of a sudden, you know, the, the, these guys are, you know, menaces on the wings, and then it totally frees up a center forward to just you know destroy center backs uh, off of crosses or or just poaching or or anything right it, it it completely sets up a completely different game plan but when you're using players like Jordan Morris uh, Brooks Lennon uh, Bobise uh, let me see who else we got on this <laughs> on, the, on these Paul Ariola Corey Baird. Those guys, that's not deadly. Those guys aren't Jossie Zardes. There's no, there's no threat there. Right. And, and yeah, one of, one of the things that we talked about, you know, consistently over the course of the three games with the U 17s recently is that there was no, there was no attacking threat from the wings. There was no wide play. There was no, there was nobody that was dangerous in one V one situations in the wings. I don't see Paul Ariola as somebody that is dangerous as a one V one player. He has an incredible engine and he's super fast. And and if you play him a ball into the corner, you know, he's probably going to run really hard to go track it down and maybe cross it. But I'm not worried about Paul Ariola. If I'm a defender, I'm not worried about him, you know, dicing me up one V one. I am shitting my pants if Uli's dribbling at me. I'm shitting right. my pants if Christian Pulisic's dribbling at me. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. You know, concerned if Corey Barrett is dribbling at me, or Jossie Zardes especially, or t- even Tyler Boyd. Not. Yeah. Not worried. Yep. 
Yeah, I, I, I think even you know a lot of these players that are in, you know, both the the U twenty three and and senior national team, like at a minimum, they they have to have the quality and technique and decision making to retain possession of the ball to play a, according to Greg, you know, he wants to play possession and build up from, from the back at a minimum, the players have to have that, but, but it has to be beyond that because if that's what you have only then, yeah, okay. You, you circulate the ball, but you don't create any danger. Yep. So I think that's what we've seen, you know, a lot of turnovers, but then also when we get up the field, like, Who's going to create danger besides Pulisic? Nobody, really. Um, and, yeah, the players that we just named, Uli, Richie, Alex, they have the technical quality and the decision-making quality to retain possession of the ball. And they also have the quality to create danger in front of the opponent's goal. That is what you have to have uh, in my opinion, to to execute Greg's vision that he's talking about on a regular basis, you know. But but yeah, that that's why I think we have to evaluate Greg not on his words, but by the product that he ultimately is putting out on the field. Yeah. So we'll see. The, yeah, the hope is is that, that these guys get groomed so that so that us as fans we can enjoy a product like that that Greg's talking about. That's what we want to be able to enjoy, you know, for these national team games, but it needs to come to fruition. Yeah. No, and, and now I'm just thinking too, like, you know, thinking a couple years ahead of, you know, what, what it could potentially be beyond just that front five, but having Serginio Des behind, you know, one wing and, and, and Kobe on, on one side too. It's like that, that is you know, pretty badass to think about, you know, to have hundred percent to have wingers like Uli and, and and Christian and then outside backs like Kobe and Serginio Dest, you know, if they all continue on their trajectory of of, of what they're doing, right? Because anything can happen. But if if these guys continue down down this path, you know, having having those guys as our outside four, oh my God. What's crazy is th- this is not too far down the line no it's right around the corner yeah this can happen fairly quickly but but yeah i think that that's what you're saying is we the national team program needs to start to set things up for this to be happening here yep otherwise it's going to get dragged out and dragged out and i mean these guys should be knocking on the door of of the next world cup yep i think so too yeah, if we're if we're talking about the you know, uh, well, let's see, the next World Cup's in December, right? That's going to be tricky. Um, but yeah, like if if we're talking about you know a year and a half, two years from now, like it's not that far fetched that these guys are going to be hitting very very good strides right right about then. So it's it's very interesting in that these guys should be getting groomed now in preparation for that. Not not grooming these other people as as backups, you know. Sorry, Corey Baird, I keep picking on you, or Jossie. Um, you know, like, the, like what do you, what are, what are those guys going to contribute when when it's World Cup time, when the games are you know or qualifying time, you know, when it's when it's when it's time. So contribute more frustration. Ah, fucking a man, I, <laughs> I don't I don't disagree with that. Um, 
Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, I'll, I'll throw this out there just because I, I added this in the spreadsheet, but I I added up all the all the minutes played by the U.S. men's national team, or sorry, by the by the U.S. U twenty threes, the guys that got called over to the camp that came from MLS. Added up all their minutes, all their goals, all their assists. So out of 6,718 minutes, the five guys that are joining the U23s produced 24 goals. So they averaged about one goal every three games for those guys, those five guys, collectively, which is pretty sad. So that's the firepower that we're dealing with in the U23 roster, which coming off the the pretty lackluster U17 performance, it just leaves a lot to be desired. Again, it, it you know, it makes it frustrating to see a guy like Uli who's on fire right now with his, with his club at Wolfsburg to not just, you know, not even get a chance, not even get a sniff, which, uh, you know, I think, you know, given, given the sniff, I think that he would outperform a lot of these guys already. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I want to, I want to kind of wrap things up with a little bit of U 17 talk. Um, we, we, did three our first three episodes like this uh, specifically about the u17 tournament u17 tournament uh u17 world cup is still ongoing at this point um which is uh you know still still some interesting data points to draw from this tournament one of those being um it was kind of hinted at and it's always kind of hinted at that the u.s is in a group of death there's always that like that that rumor that the u.s is part of a group of death and and it's always you know the escape button um you know if if people want to somehow back out of back out of the results or whatever that we get but nonetheless uh you know the the group of death that usa was part of has one team in the quarterfinals and the the group that Mexico was part of has three teams in the quarterfinals. So when we're talking about group of death, uh, you know Mexico, Paraguay, Italy, and then the the outlier there in their group was Solomon Islands. You know those three are advancing into the quarterfinals in um, you know pretty dominant fashion for for their group, which I think is pretty pretty interesting. Um, the, uh, the player from Mexico that I think everybody's, you know, still needs to be reminded of is, uh, Efra Alvarez. Efra Alvarez could have been the guy that, you know, was the, was the player that the U-17 maybe should have built around USA U-17 should have built around, but at a younger age, Efra wasn't, um, wasn't feeling very welcomed with the U.S. Men's National Team program, so he bounced and he went to Mexico. and And look, look at him now. He's playing a key role. He's scoring goals. His team is moving on to the to the quarterfinals. I think you know that's a it's a good spot for him to be in right now. Unfortunately, even though it's not in a USA jersey, which sucks. But any uh, yeah, he's he's looked very good every almost every time he touches the ball. I mean, it, it, he can he can change the game with one moment of him on the ball lethal and he's lethal from almost anywhere in the field which is which is insane i watched uh, i only got the chance to watch the first half against japan but like in the first you know 10 minutes 15 minutes he was you know trying to drop bombs from outside the 18 which was nuts and, and they were barely missing um and then also a key player too on set pieces you know he he took the majority of mexico's corners 
Uh, he is a free kick specialist, even though it hasn't been on display in, in Major League Soccer because you're you know you're sharing the field with people that are five, six, seven, eight, nine in in, in Zlatan's case, twenty years older than you, right? Um, but uh, he's he's going to be he's he's going to get a chance to show that he's a free kick specialist too, which is going to be exciting at some point. Um, but yeah, so he's you know playing a key role for Mexico, as, and they're moving on to the quarterfinals. So just wanted to make sure everybody got that update. the uh, The only team from USA's group to advance was the Netherlands. I feel like that's pretty important to uh, to announce too. Uh, one of the things that people might not know is that the Netherlands didn't even send two of their you know strongest players. Uh, even though they have eight players that are starting um, from Ajax alone, uh, the two best players from Ajax didn't even come. Uh, Ryan Ryan Gravenberch and Brian Brabby. I don't know how to say his last name properly, but uh, but Gravenberch. Uh, if you haven't gotten a, a chance to watch this guy play, I, I've been fortunate because I've paid much closer attention to Ajax since Alex has moved there. But uh, dude, this guy is he's nuts. So YouTube his his highlights and it's just different quality. Um, this guy, if, if he would have went to the U 17 world cup, he would have just been walking circles around everybody. It would have been actually probably hilarious. Um, and then also soul crushing against the USA, but uh, mostly hilarious. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the, the update from, from those guys. I don't know any reactions to, what you've seen since USA's bounced? No, I, I've enjoyed watching some of the teams that are continuing to advance. Uh, you know, I th- I think it proves the gap between the top teams that are still in the tournament compared to our U17s. Um, and I think it's important that yeah, we understand that there are solutions. There are solutions currently here in our soccer system. Uh, they just have to be uh, nurtured, and we have to maximize their potential. So it's, the solutions are there. We shouldn't lose hope. Um, I think we just have to be demanding the correct things, and we need people making the decisions uh, and executing on the field with the players for us to realize as you know supporters and fans that we absolutely have the quality here in in our country yeah and and i want to make sure i bring up a, a text message that i had um earlier with somebody about ix's eight players that are starting for the netherlands and how you know kind of like one team is sending the the core or represents the core of their national team and and it kind of makes up the Netherlands identity for for lack of better of words, I guess. Um, but it's something similar that that's happened at the senior level, like with Spain or with Germany at the at the World Cup, where they you know Spain for for example, you know the the majority of their team came from uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona when when those two teams were winning every every trophy possible, right? Um, and and it's kind of something that we've we've never to my knowledge that I'm aware of have never really done with our U S men's national team, even with our youth national teams, but we we've always kind of taken just one player from wherever 
and, and, we, and we've done that 18 times and that's our roster, right? So it's just like these 18 random ass pieces being put together and there's no real continuity between those. And I think we're missing something when, when we don't, you know, do something similar to that. And at the, at the youth national teams level, youth national team level, we could have been doing that with, you know, I, I think, and I've said this for a couple of years, I think we could have been doing that with LA galaxy and with FC Dallas, And we could have been providing, you know, the core of our youth national teams from those two teams uh, for for a few years now. I feel like that would have been preparing us much, much, much better for our U20 World Cup. Uh, It could have been preparing us much, much, much better for this upcoming U23 Olympic cycle. And eventually, again, with, you know, the ultimate goal of grooming these players properly for the senior men's national team. And, and so it's like, if you wanted to take guys from, from those squads, right. And, and properly groom them, you know, you have five, six, seven guys from, from LA galaxy's Academy over the last few years. And you have five, six, seven guys from, from FC Dallas's. And then you sprinkle in, you know, the supporting cast, you sprinkle in two guys from, from real salt Lake, you, you sprinkle in, you know, Richie and Soto, um, you, you sprinkle in a Josh Sargent, you sprinkle in a Serginio Dest and, and that's where you kind of fill in the gaps. But, you know, for the most part it, it, over the last few years, it probably should have been, or could have been, you know, mostly, mostly, you know, from two, from two clubs. And I feel like we've, we've always missed that opportunity to, to build like that because for whatever reason, I don't know, spreading the love because you need to, you know, show your scouts on these different regions that they matter. I, I, I really don't know what the, what the idea is behind it, but that's a, it's another soapbox from, from me. No, that's an interesting point. That's an interesting point. We obviously don't know what the thinking is, but yeah, that, that was, that was a possibility for that to happen. And what does that do for, uh, the culture of, the youth national teams and then ultimately the culture of the senior national team down the road. Yeah. That, that, that's interesting, Joe. No, but when you think about it at multiple levels, you know, 17s and 19s or 16s and 18s, I can't remember when it started, but the galaxy and, and FC Dallas were, you know, they, they pretty much always had at least one team in the finals galaxy. I know got there multiple years in a row. Didn't, didn't win it, but they did win it under who they win it with Mike Munoz, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and then, you know, at, at multiple levels, getting consistently getting to the, the, the last four, the last two for, for both of those, both of those teams at the, at the youth levels. And I think that's pretty significant that, you know, that's a, it, it's a tournament that, um, includes hundreds of teams across the country uh you know it, it requires you know grueling process blah 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 blah. but these these two teams these two the two coaches um lucha gonzalez and, and brian uh Kleiben, you know they were able to find themselves there more often than not when when they were with their teams and i think that that says a lot right um and, and i think that you know that that was maybe taken for granted um not not properly cultivated um certainly in brian's case not appreciated um and then and then obviously you see what happens with lucci lucci promoted to the first team in fc dallas that's a different story but um but i think i I really just at the end of the day i feel like it was a missed opportunity for for the last few years to be properly grooming those guys and the coaches too um for for their next opportunities so yeah yeah yeah, it'd be interesting to, to know if 
a, mo- a majority of the players coming from those two places was seen as a negative. Obviously, we'll we'll never know, but yep. that would be interesting to know. Yep, and and that's and that's kind of how I, I I view it. I I wonder if it is, but that's kind of how I, you know, if I'm thinking how they're thinking, I think that's what it is. Um, you know, they they. they they can't just fuck off the rest of the development academy and they can't just, you know, screw off all these other, you know, scouts they have in all these other regions or whatever. It would, it would look like a, you know, a disaster if just one team or just two teams provided the majority of the national team, even though that's probably what it should be still. Yeah. It's what it should be still looking forward into the future. It should still be, it can still be Alex, Uli, Kobe, Johnny Perez, and and it's still possible to bring effort in too. It's like that's five guys that all came from one youth academy. And and that's legit. You know, it's a legit possibility, and it probably should happen. But you know, will it happen? Who knows? You know, is that a real thing where people would you know freak out if there were five people from the same same club? Probably. But if you sprinkle in you know five from Dallas, Chris Richards, Paxton, uh, whatever you know, whoever's there. And then you throw in like a Richie and you throw in a, a Serginio Dest and a Josh Sargent. Okay, cool. Like now we're talking. I think that's a badass national team. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Does maybe maybe the perception can't be focused in on, you know, a couple of individuals doing very good work. Uh, the perception has to be as a whole, the world class DA. <laughs> is producing players all over the country. Yep. Yep. World-class college players. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I had to, had to give another dig before, before the end of the show. Uh, any last thoughts? No, I, I think that's it for me. I'm, I'm interested to see more of what does the collective performance look like from Burhalter's group of players that he's called in. Yep. Yep. And I know a lot of people are, are super curious about the U 23s. Uh, at this point, I don't think we know if, or if not, these games are going to be televised or viewable. If they are, um, I'll, I'll make sure, you know, I tweet it out. Um, but if anybody else knows, please let us know. That would be a good, uh, good gesture on your part. Um, yeah, I think uh, there's a there's a lot to be seen, a lot to be learned from these next two games for the the senior men's national team, and there's a lot to be learned with our our U23s as well when they're over in uh, in uh, Europe with this next set of friendlies that they got. Uh, we'll be back with our. I think we, you want to do you want to do a preview for the Canada game, like specifically about the Canada game. Uh. Yeah, I say we wait till after the Canada game. Okay. So we'll do a review of the Canada game. And then at that time, we'll give you an up, update on the U23s. And we'll give you an update on the ongoing U17 World Cup as well. Because they'll still be, uh, I think they'll be finishing up their semifinals and preparing for the final, which I think is the 17th as well. So, um, yeah, so we'll be back in, I don't know, a week or so. Uh, yeah. If you want to reach out and tell us your reactions to this or, or give us your thoughts about this episode or about the rosters, about anything that we talked about, you can reach Joey on Twitter. It's at Casio underscore FG. That's at 
C-A-S-C-I-O underscore F-G. And you can find me at that Croatian guy. Or if you want, you can always go to 343coaching.com and you could you know, unleash in the comment section if you if your little heart desires uh, to, to type more than 280 characters. Um, all right, Joey, is that it? That's it, man. All right, good talking to you, dude. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. If you are interested in accelerating your development as a coach and learning more about possession-based soccer, you can visit 343coaching.com and sign up for our premium coaching membership program. That is where you will get access to video, audio, and ebook lessons that will help you reduce your trial and error time by showing you the methods that have been proven to work in the American soccer environment. So once again, if you are an ambitious coach and you want to start learning the tried and true methods that have already been proven to work in the American soccer environment, you can visit 343coaching.com to learn more about our coaching programs. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast, and we will catch you next time.